All the democratic circles in America and Europe, in particular the Italian intelligence agency, know very well that the catastrophic attack was planned and carried out by the American CIA and Mossad with the help of the Zionist world to accuse the Arab countries and to persuade the Western powers to go into Iraq and Afghanistan. Former Italian President Francesco Cosiga quoted in Corriere della Sera, 2007. Well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. Military-industrial complex. We are here to destroy the control over the industry of other people. I did not trade arms for hostage. It's been time to hear One, two, three. Hello and welcome to a very special myth of the 20th century. Uh, This has been kind of a long time in coming. um, And part of um, us um, probably didn't feel like we were ready to do this for quite some time. But with the 20th uh, anniversary of 9-11 upon us, uh, we felt uh, we had somewhat of an obligation uh, to the audience and to ourselves to really reflect and examine this uh, very important topic. So for today, uh, we've been able to get a uh, wonderful guest who I'm a a big fan of and reader of his blog, which I would call nothing short of uh, brilliant in terms of coverage of 9-11 in particular, but also of uh, deep politics in general. Um, Band Hipster is joining us today, and he happens uh, to have been uh, in New York on the day of uh, September 11, 2001. So uh, without further ado, um, of course, my co-host Hank and Hans are here, but Band Hipster, thank you for joining us. How are you? Uh, good. Thanks for having me. So uh, are, you, uh, are you comfortable sharing a little bit of your experience that day? Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I just want to tell a, a little bit of the story because I think there's like four or five um, little points uh, that are in in the lead up that are relevant and kind of set the context. So, you know, it's been 20 years. My God, uh, I was a young guy, like right out of college. And I got a job working at uh, the, at the Trade Center in the towers. Um, uh, when I first got there, you know, you go through the security and um, it had been bombed before in 93. So there was. Security. It was a, a decent amount of security. Nothing like there is today, um, but uh, you know, you got a form from your boss. It said what, you know, what doors you could open, right? You go down the security office. I waited around for about twenty minutes. Uh, I show him two forms of ID. He calls my boss, makes a verbal confirmation. They take my picture. They give me the little security card, right? Typical these days, right? Um, <clears throat> took about 20 minutes, I guess. I had 24-hour, seven-day-week access because sometimes I worked extended hours, sometimes I worked on the weekend, not usually, right? So I would say about August, 
I noticed uh, an increase in security everywhere. There were the NYPD had parked one of these uh, like urban assault vehicles, you know, outside. There was a lot, like double the amount of cop cars starting in August. Um, <clears throat> I talked to a, a coworker of mine and uh, said, wow, did you notice all this new security? Uh, I wonder if they had some kind of terrorist warning. And I don't know if people remember this, but terrorism was not unheard of. You know, um, uh, it had been in the news. Osama bin Laden had been interviewed on CNN once, I think the year before, a year and a half before. The USS Cole, I believe, was the precursor. The the USS Cole. The uh, the apartment building in uh, Saudi Arabia, I believe. And, and there was an attack, were... I think, in Africa, um, if I'm not mistaken. But there, there were, he was in the news, for sure, <clears throat> at the very least. Yeah, yeah. And I told my coworker this, and my coworker says, oh, wow, that's really scary. I was here for the 93, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just using that as context. So then about early August, all of a sudden, I uh, get told by the office manager, everybody's got to get new IDs. Um, And I said, oh, you know, really? And uh, this person told me, yeah, it's the whole building, apparently. Everybody's got to get new IDs. And uh, the office manager told me, why don't you just go do it? Because I was young. I was very unimportant. And, you know, my schedule is much more flexible than everyone else's, obviously, right? So this time, unlike the first time, which took about 20 minutes, I was down in the security office for three hours in line with like all sorts of people. And that's what I was told. Everybody had to get a new replacement card because I don't know, they're upgrading the security system. That was pretty odd. Um, Then I have not ever talked about this in public, but... um, There are two people on the public record that have interviews on YouTube, so I'm actually just corroborating what they said. Um, About August, early August, um, I got a memo and was personally told that there was going to be power downs in the entire buildings. the North Tower on the weekend of uh, Saturday the 1st and Sunday the 2nd. And then the next weekend, uh, power down uh, on Saturday the 8th and Sunday the 9th. This is highly unusual. I don't know if any of you guys have ever been to the original trade centers, but it's it's really hard to... Uh, it's it's really hard to imagine how absolutely massive these things were. Yeah, you could not stand at the front entrance and look up without getting like vertigo. And they're right? 110 stories, and there's two of them. Yeah, it's it's just it's absolutely massive, and you know, you know, any building of that size, the power systems are complex. They're redundant. This was highly unusual, highly unusual, and. Uh, you know, we had a lot of pretty sophisticated computer equipment there. So the guys who were in charge, I mean, I'm sure you guys know, but, you know, restarting these systems, it's not like rebooting your laptop, right? It, it can be a very complicated process. You've got a lot of custom software to run and reboot. It's not so easy, right? So the guys in the IT department, I mean, I can hear them 
cursing like a sailor about getting three weeks notice for a complete power down of everything in the building. Um, <clears throat> so um, I just want to point out that uh, there's a guy named Scott Forbes. He's a British citizen that worked for um, fiduciary trust. The fiduciary trust CEO is uh, the woman and something who uh, wasn't at work that day because she had been invited by Warren Buffett to go to Offutt Air Force Base to have a charity golf breakfast. I don't know if anyone was aware of that. That's also on the public record. Uh, he is. He says basically the exact same thing that I said, except he only talked about it in one tower. I was told both towers. Uh, another guy is Gary Corbett, also works for Fiduciary Trust. Um, I have links to their YouTube videos on my blog if anyone's interested, bandhipster.home.blog, because one of the earliest quote-unquote debunking sites spent years smearing anybody who discussed these power downs, and I believe that's officially denied. But I had the paperwork. I was told to this myself. And then um, – <clears throat> The last kind of interesting thing that happened in the run-up to this is, I guess, probably about, I'd say, Wednesday or Thursday before. Um, everybody at this place would leave at 5.30 on the dot. I would stay until 5.35 because I was young and trying to impress people, right? Um, I used to leave my laptop and, and my bag there, and I would take the escalators down, and I would go – to this bar a couple blocks away and flirt with this bartender I had a crush on. And I'd stay for like, you know, till 8, 8.30. I'd walk back, grab my laptop and my bag and head uptown. So I do this, it's about, it's Wednesday or Thursday, I guess. And uh, I go up and uh, it's about 8.30 and uh, my car doesn't work. I go around to the other entrance, my car doesn't work there. I just thought it was unusual, but again, all these last minute security changes these last minute power downs, these last minute uh, uh, extra security, I don't find that to be a coincidence, to be frank. So I'm gonna say, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do a little skipping here because I, I just wanna, I, I, some things I don't wanna say, but, but let me put it to you this way. Um, I was outside of the building when the second events happened. Um, I heard the plane. I'm pretty certain that I saw the plane. And it's pretty much just like the videos, except I couldn't describe the plane for you at all. I, I don't know anything about planes. I couldn't tell you the difference between a 767 and, and anything else. But, you know, I just saw a plane. I saw the huge, massive explosion. Um, <clears throat> Everyone's trying to call people on the phone, right? Um, none of the cell phones are working. Uh, so, I walk except, a except for the uh, ones on the airplanes. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and the ones on the inside of, but the ones on the inside of the tower too, because um, um, there were a number of people inside the building calling their loved ones, mm -hmm. and especially the people that were trapped and never made it out. So. I don't know about the I don't know about the phone calls like 
you know, there's so many details like this, but I know that I'm in a crowd of people not that far away. Like certainly visual, you can see everything pretty up close and personal. I'm trying to call people. The cell phone totally doesn't work. I walk a couple blocks north. I find a payphone. I'm able to call the people I need to call. You know, I still don't know where a lot of people are. Obviously, I'm, you know, in a sense, panicking. And by the time the second plane hit, it was obvious that this was not some kind of accident. So, you know, I'm sitting in a crowd of people and I'm just looking up and I'm thinking about this. And I see the first building be demolished. And uh, How far away from, uh, would, from it were you, like, a few blocks? Or? I, was, <clears throat> I, was, I was not uh, – I was not – by that point, I was not close enough to see – to, like, be in any danger. I was, like, many blocks north – many blocks away at this point, mm-hmm. okay? But I could see it with my naked eyes because, again, those buildings are so freaking massive. Right. But uh, I didn't have to, like, escape – run out of – uh, uh, from the dust like you've seen in all the videos. I was perfectly safe. Um, but, you know, I saw it be demolished, and, you know, I, I didn't think, oh, the fires must have been too intense. Of course not. It was ridiculous. I immediately thought to myself, oh, my God, somebody put bombs in the building, <laughs> right? And I'm sitting there thinking about the implications of this for about 45 minutes, Standing in a crowd of people, everyone's screaming, talking to people, everyone's panicking, as you can imagine. And uh, then I see the other one go. And, you know, I mean, at that at this point, I'm thinking to myself, well, both of these buildings had bombs in them and didn't seem like this was like, you know, a car bomb in the bottom of the basement either. So I guess I became a truther that day. And uh, I just I high to the subways weren't working, so I had to walk for a ways. And I mean that was that was my experience on that day. Let's put it that way. Well, I know, I know you're not a huge fan of him, but uh, you know who else was a truther on 9/11? Uh, Donald Trump. He was interviewed by the German press of all presses in New York at the day. And he was skeptical of the possibilities of planes taking those things down, which were designed for uh, seven, I think, seven oh seven or seven thirty sevens, impacting yeah. them and withstanding uh, that with no issues. Now these were larger jets, allegedly. But his point was essentially that the massive uh, external columns made of, of gigantic amounts of steel. I mean, you could see them uh, for the ones that they haven't uh, disposed of. Uh, I would argue in. Cr- in a criminal fashion, um, you could see how large they are. And they were also um, buttressed by massive uh, concrete slabs that formed the floors. Uh, there were 110 mm-hmm. of these things, and there were also massive internal columns. So I've always argued, uh, ever since I became very skeptical of this stuff from the physics standpoint, that there it makes no sense that a couple of uh, aluminum tin cans thrown at a massive concrete and steel structure would not bounce off, but instead puncture something that is harder and heavier uh, mm-hmm. and stronger and and not bounce off. I mean, you you have uh, you have three laws of physics here. An object at rest stays at rest, an object in motion stays in motion. And the third law, the most important one in this case, is an uh, 
each action has an, uh, an equal and opposite reaction. And two objects in space, it, they don't they don't know which one is moving versus not moving. They, eff- they effectively meet each other, and there's a force uh, applied on both sides. The weaker side okay. is going to crumple the stronger side, which in this, these towers, they're thousands of times more massive, are much stronger. Now, what happened? The opposite happened. And the only explanation for the opposite happening is that they had explosives. There's no way... The goddamn wingtips, for God's sakes, of the airplanes punctured in a wily e. coyote fashion on the side of the, those buildings. Maybe in the center where all that cumulative force of all the, the passengers, the airplane, the luggage uh, ramming through might have punctured a little bit, maybe. But you're telling me that the wingtips bashed through massive steel and concrete structures? I don't think so. Uh, there's pictures of uh, airplanes being almost uh, crushed on their surfaces by birds hitting them. You're telling me that something that's probably billions of times more massive is, is not going to bounce off that, uh, bounce that thing off. I, 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 that never made sense in, to me. And the fact that it fell at free fall speeds, that makes no sense. The NIST report was garbage. It, it claimed yeah. that there was office furniture causing this thing to fall down. I mean, are you kidding me? So we can yeah, go on and yeah. on with the physics, but it's well, just... You know, from what you're saying, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I've never had a particularly. I, I've never thought too much about. I mean, I'm familiar with what you're saying, but for me, okay, I've seen the blueprints. Architects and engineers for 9/11 Truth have, has had them up on mm-hmm. their website for a while. They were huge, massive, massive, multiple. I maybe 16, 32 or something steel yeah. columns in the middle of the building. Right. And then there was a, you know, metal, uh, uh, steel, you know, framing of it. And then the, like you say, these big concrete floors, people talk about like the jet fuel softening the steel, which is absurd. The jet that fuel, stuff would have burned up immediately. It, yeah. It would have burned up immediately in the fire in the in the fireball yeah absolutely and then there's no more jet fuel you know here's another thing um this is this is something that i was told by somebody who worked in one of the buildings that i knew i was told by this person this like a week later this person was coming down the elevator and the lobby had been bombed out a lot of people discussed the lobby being bombed In, out. Including the firefighters that were uh, interviewed yeah. on the scene. Now, yes. some people have been skeptical of you know their backgrounds, but there, there's uh, some pretty um, corroborate, corroborative evidence that have also backed up what those guys were saying. There were other firefighters, not just those dudes. Um, there's had, there's the uh, the guy um, who got the freedom of, uh, the the medal of freedom from George Bush, who was the janitor that went around unlocking the doors, uh, unlocking all the doors, like the ground floor and the janitor floors underneath, dragging people out. He said he heard a bomb from the basement, mm-hmm. like about the same time as the, yeah, the, the subways, the, I think. Yeah, and uh, well, when this was talked about, there was a, a talking point to explain how the lobby got bombed out. Um, the jet fuel. Oh, I mean, God. Is, the, the jet, jet fuel, fuel again. Flowed down the elevator shaft. Yeah, of course it did. The jet fuel flowed down the elevator shaft and exploded into the lobby, and that's what happened. That mm. was the official story for a while. I don't think anyone right. tries to did pull that Right? Did the jet fuel find its way over to uh, World Trade Center Seven? Then. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Who knows? So there's, my father, you know, um... who, who's who's an engineer, he, he didn't even know about World Trade Center 7. I mean, is this just yeah. shows you how badly informed the American public is. Yeah, let me let me tell you, let me tell you I was uh I was having lunch in uh nearby about 2 weeks with a bunch of people I worked with and a bunch of people I knew from other from another company. It was about 5 people there. And somebody told me, you know, we're discussing everything. Uh, some of these people barely escaped with their lives. And uh, uh, somebody said, oh, yeah, the Solomon Brothers building uh, collapsed, too. And I was like, really? Why? And he goes, I don't know. And then, <laughs> you know, everyone's looking around the table and everybody, I feel, saying, should I say what I want to say or should I just keep my mouth shut? And everyone just kept their mouth shut. And <clears throat> that's the way it was for years i am strongly of the opinion that many many people who witness this up close and personal are just as skeptical as i am they just feel that there's nothing to profit by discussing it and i'd yeah. say for years and years 50 percent of the new york city population believes it was some kind of inside job 50 percent yeah 30 percent of people to this day still do you know if you watch some of the footage uh and there is still plenty of footage out there um you sometimes have to look a little harder for it, but um, you, know, you didn't have cell phones of the day, but people did have camcorders. People were mm -hmm. finding other ways to film. And there is footage uh, right after I think the North Tower was hit. There is there is footage of people coming down immediately um, and, and yep. walking out of the lobby. And what yes. you notice in a lot of that footage is that the the lobby when they come out of the stairs, the lobby basically looks torn apart. Mm -hmm. And it it never really made much sense. A lot of the glass is blown out too, um, and I think that there there were like there are plausible technical um, maybe explanations for how that could happen. Uh, one of the most bizarre I ever heard was that the kinetic energy of a plane hitting a building shattered the glass on the bottom floor, and that's why the the bottom floors had, you know, all their windows blown out. Uh, that did not explain how many of the windows and the floors from like five to sixty did not have their yeah. windows blown out. Yeah. Um, and these are not the the windows on that building. Uh, people should be if you've never done any kind of like commercial real estate or you've never seen it in act, like seeing a building built from the inside out like that. Um, this is not ordinary glass. This is highly tempered, yeah. thick glass. It has to, especially in you know the northeastern part of the United States, it has to withstand incredible uh, weathering. It has to withstand basically hurricane force winds. It, it has to withstand birds. It has to withstand a lot. So it, it made you know a lot of that never made any sense recall footage of uh, and you might be able to find it still of of people when immediately coming out and uh in the lobby is basically destroyed yes um and it's yes. not clear it, it doesn't look as though it's been burned uh what it looks more like is that it, imagine if you had an explosion without the fire element and everything got blown away the windows got blown out uh you know all kinds of stuff is lying on the floor and uh, you have security guards kind of walking around aimlessly 
trying to direct traffic. Um, but something else that was interesting, I think that you mentioned um, uh, Anne, and I think it was Anne Tadlock. Yes, that, yes, that, that's that right. Person? Yes. So I remember this from like some of the 9-11 trutherism that I was into when I was like a teenager. Um, but she was one of these kind of spooky figures because on the day of 9-11, she was on her way to U.S. Strategic Command Headquarters in Omaha. That's the that's the um the Warren Buffett golf charity breakfast. Yes, yeah. Yes, that happened to be on the Air Force Base, and that's where Bush went. Um, he he made he uh he was in Florida. He made a stop uh in Louisiana, and then he went to this off at Air Force Base where he stayed for I don't maybe maybe the rest of the day. And you know I don't know if you guys ever heard the uh the story. This is well attested in the press. Uh, the day before the Monday, the day before Bush was in Florida, staying at this place. They put anti-aircraft carriers on the roof of this hotel he was staying at, or sorry, like you know, you know these mobile anti-aircraft missile batteries, type, right? Batteries. They put these on the roof of the building. This is in like the Palm Beach Herald and stuff. I, and I just don't know what standard practice is. Men. If that was unusual or not, it could have been. But yeah, I I don't know, but I mean. That if if that was standard practice, then that just makes the uh, the what happened the next day even crazier that something wasn't done right. And uh, but a bunch of uh, supposedly a bunch of Middle Eastern men tried to get by a security perimeter. There was a whole police investigation of this. Uh, two men claimed that they had a meeting with them. I mean, it almost was like a. I mean, almost it was like it was meant to be covered in the media or covered in the press even though apparently they didn't talk about it much afterwards but it, you can still find the mainstream press accounts of this in the in the florida newspapers i thought that was quite odd well bef before yeah, we that, that we, does we, sound like the, the, yeah go ahead Hans. that that story sounds um uh, i don't but it would fit with uh the the quickness of the established timeline we, I guess we'll get into this, but how quickly it was announced who was behind the attacks. Okay, to, uh, and it was immediate. How like, it, you know. Yes. The media was immediately being fed information, and it was immediately Muslim terrorist. Two days later, George W. Bush is uh, doing the Islam as a religion of peace speech. Yeah. And this would seem as though it would— if this, if this is true, then um, I, I could see this as like, well— if something goes wrong, you can say uh, there was an attempted terrorist attack and there was also an attempted terrorist attack the previous day right. on the president. Yeah. And it yeah. might have been either a backup strategy or, you know, if there was like a lack of believability, they could have used it to heighten the tension. Like, you know, yesterday there was a an attempted attack on the president and, you know, it was a part of a larger plot to, you know, take down the U.S. financial system and military at the same time. Yeah. I, I have a few more just, I think, smoking guns, frankly, that for anybody who's still skeptical about people who don't believe the official story uh, might, uh, might never heard these pieces of evidence uh, against the official story. Um, hipster mentioned, he, you know, he's not super familiar with, you know, the type of aircraft, 
uh, in general. Uh, in particular, the alleged aircraft that struck the towers uh, were 767s, I believe. Uh, and those are very distinctive looking in the sense that they're Boeing aircraft. Um, they have two engines. Uh, there, you know, it's the sort of, uh, wing and tube design. Uh, and so you have the wings and then there's, there's two jet engines underneath and because they only have two and they're very, fairly large aircraft, they don't have, um, the, the luxury of, of making those very small. So they're, they're pretty big engines. Okay. Now the precursor to the 757 and 767, I believe both of them were involved in th- this day, um, was the 747 the 747 had four engines and those are relatively smaller and uh the engines uh were not discovered in the wreckage of the world trade centers however there was an engine found in new york and it was several blocks away sort of like the magic bullet theory of john f kennedy's assassination and if you had actually looked at the path it would have had to travel to not have to teleport through solid buildings uh, it would have to travel with like retro rockets through the uh, the building canyons to land strategically on the sidewalk under some scaffolding. Now, get this. The engine type was a 747 jet engine. It was a wrong engine. Mm. They probably got it out of a scrapyard and it was j- dusty and junked up. But that that makes no sense. OK, that was the wrong airplane. Uh, and then the fact that a lot of people don't quite understand how the physics of this thing worked like me. And I've speculated and many others have that maybe there weren't planes involved. Now I think the no plane argument is pretty indisputable with the Pentagon and the Pennsylvania uh, crash, which I'll get to in a second, but just sticking with the world trade center, uh, given that hipster, I think is a fairly credible source uh, and if he did see something, other people have said that he did see something there, at least as YouTube videos of these people saying it. Um, what other people have argued is that there might've been military aircraft drones that have hit these things. And they were of some sort of uh, autonomously piloted airplane. And the fact that it may have hit the building, but it left this outline for reasons previously stated, um, doesn't make sense. Now they might have wired something up in there. I don't know to, to actually target it that specifically, uh, seems difficult, but not with, you know, outside of the realm of possibility, given that we have guided smart missiles and everything. The problem with the planes though, is that there've been many pilots that have come forward, uh, air force pilots that actually the son of the founder of Learjet, uh, said that he could not at the speeds at which those were traveling and the altitude at which they were traveling could not have flown those planes into those buildings. Uh, yeah. Many other experienced pilots have said that. Now, if these were... Uh, we all spent a few hours in Microsoft Flight Simulator trying <laughs> to do the thing. It was just what you did in 2002. Yeah. It was like a 200 nod, like 230 or... I can't remember the degree, 280 degree corkscrew turn, like at a descending altitude. It, like it, it, was, in, it was an advanced 
advanced maneuver. It's, it's not a it's not a fighter jet, okay, which are designed yeah. to do that sort of thing. This is this is a a bus in the sky that is designed mm. to take off lumbering up from a very gentle, you know, landing surface into the the clouds, get up above the weather, fly in a straight line and then come down, save fuel, get you to there uh, and make some money. It's not designed to dogfight. And this this like, you know, crazy maneuvering and the speeds at which they're traveling at the altitude at which they're traveling, uh, engineers have speculated that the 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 shearing forces on the wings would have broken them, broken them off. And so there's a lot of problems with this, uh, this plane. Uh, and maybe there, there was something, but, um, they're not, they're not strong enough to knock the buildings down. Uh, and there was also yeah, um, not, yeah. molten, uh, metal coming out of the, the goddamn sides of the building. People have attested to this firefighters have said it, there's footage of it. Uh, that can only be explained by things like thermite, and there have been physical mm-hmm. tests and experiments and people in the backyards basically lighting the stuff off and showing how it can melt that's, steel. That's David Chandler. That's David Chandler, the guy that did the backyard thing with the mm-hmm. chemistry set. That was that was great. Yeah. Yeah, people were te- people were saying, "Oh, this is crazy. Thermite couldn't do this. The guy could do it in his backyard." I mm-hmm. have on my site, I have on my site a U.S. Army patent for a thermite demolition device. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, I got I, I linked to the patent from one of these patent sites. You talk. I, I w- want to say this in the it's interesting if you it's very interesting if you look at the companies in both of the towers that were where the impact was. Both of them are spooky as hell. So what does that tell you? You know. And just the last parts I wanted to mention about the planes, um, Pentagon, uh, arguably, or at least in my mind, it should be one of the most heavily fortified uh, locations on the planet, given that it's the center of the largest military apparatus the world has ever seen, uh, had zero footage of anything hitting the thing, uh, except for one blurry frame of one parking lot camera that doesn't show anything. Um, and then the trajectory again of the plane floating at that. I mean, okay, we're not talking about, uh, 60 stories up now. We're talking about ground level flight at full speed. Yeah. Yeah. Again, you talk about amateur pilots pulling this off with a large aircraft that you're not allowed to fly unless you're, you know, a, a private, uh, plus, uh, you know, multiple layers above the initial, uh, airplane license uh you have to spend years learning how to fly these things couldn't do it no footage and no wreckage okay and then the pennsylvania one the most absurd one of all there's zero wreckage and the friggin cover story of why there's no wreckage is they said the plane flew into an old mine shaft i mean how fucking stupid do we have to be to believe this shit listen i have a i have a one more i think kind of interesting anecdote i grew up in dc okay so about Thanksgiving of 2001, so uh, a month and a half, two months later, I take a week for the, the long weekend, and I take a couple of days, so I'm down in D.C. for a week. I uh, meet up with my old school buddy, and he takes me to a party uh, in suburban Virginia, and um, it's, a bunch of, it's a bunch of guys in their 20s. Half of them are Army or military, military intelligence or something like that. And my friend says, introduces me to this guy, and he says, hey, this guy here, he was working in the towers. This guy here, he saw the Pentagon thing. You guys should swap your stories. So we sat down, and we had a beer or two, 
and and I tell him my story, and he tells me his. He uh, had just bought himself one of these nice new I, nice new digital cameras that were real expensive back in two thousand one. I mean, they were uh, uh, I mean, not like brand brand new technology, but the, it wasn't like it is today. Obviously, right? Twenty years has been a long time. He just bought his new camera, five hundred dollars or some crazy amount, and um, he is in Arlington National Cemetery, taking some pictures of like some family graves because everybody in his family has been in the military, and his grandfather died in World War II or something like this, right? Um, he tells me, and it's really interesting because he was, I believe, being purposefully evasive. Okay, but I can tell you this: he said. Oh, yeah, I saw a plane, and I, I, he said it was unusual for there to be a plane. I thought it was just going to Dulles at first, but he said it was way too close. He's got his camera out. He starts taking pictures of it. He does, I, I, I ask him specifically, oh, really, you know, what kind of plane, something, something. He is extremely evasive about that. He does not tell me what kind of plane it is, but he does mention an AC-130. I'm not saying that he claimed to have seen an AC-130, which is like a, the cargo plane that's been uh, yeah, uh, it's from Vietnam. Modified. I mean, they, they they flew them, you know, in Iraq too, but it's very distinctive. Right, okay. It has propellers um, on it. It's not a jet. The gunship version. Okay, right. Okay, he did not. He did not say that he saw one. He mentioned that plane because I went and looked it up later. I don't know why, but what he did say was. He said there was an aircraft and another aircraft. And he said he saw something strike the Pentagon, but he did not say it was a plane. And I have no idea if Can this you is even true. see it from that vantage point? I mean, I don't know of geography. At Arlington at Arlington National Center, you can well. see the Pentagon. You can, you can okay. see the Pentagon from there. Yeah. Got it. So he says he's taken a bunch of pictures. Um, he mentions the second plane. Now, I've seen a picture that is purports to be this, but there's these uh, kind of like flying command centers. And he seemed to and, – and if he did say that – if he did see two planes, one of them could have been this flying command center that he's, he said the other plane just flew off eventually or after the impact. Um, but, you know, regardless of what this guy says or what it means, he obviously was being coy with me. Okay, mm -hmm. but he said he saw the MP, the, the MP coming up, walking towards him. So he claims he swapped out his memory card, those old-fashioned memory cards. He swapped it out, stuck it in his bag, put a new one in. Said the MP guy came and said, "Hey, what's up? You know, I got to take your camera, right?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, I know." He's like, "Call this number. You can come pick it up in a week or two. He said at that point, Thanksgiving. He said he still hadn't gotten his camera back, mm -hmm. but he said, "Oh, I had these pictures now." The internet was around. A lot of people were using email. Not many people were going to websites on a regular basis. I told him, you know, you should put this up on the internet. You should publish this stuff on the web. And he says, why would I want to do that? <laughs> and uh, I said, oh, you know, the public has a right to know. I mean, I'm completely suspicious of this whole thing at this point. And he just sort of like smirks. And uh, that's it. I never saw him again. Uh, I, I, you know, again, I 
cannot say anything about what actually happened at the Pentagon. I have seen the video that was released uh, 10 years later from supposedly from the gas station. You know, it's like three or four frames and it shows an explosion and something in the air. It doesn't look like a plane, but who knows? But this guy told me they came and confiscated his camera. So they didn't just go to the gas station and they confiscated two other cameras nearby. They were going to individual people and taking their cameras. So whatever happened at the Pentagon, they did not want that getting out. Take it for what it is. So why is an MP, first of all, traveling the cemetery on the day of the attack to collect people's cameras who are there to <laughs> photograph the graves of their ancestors? Very good question. And why does he even have a uh, right to do that? I'd be like, no, uh, show me some law where I have to give you my property. Well, no, this this guy's active duty U.S. Army. So, oh, so he has I, to follow orders believe, to keep his job. Yeah, and I believe um, um, an Arlington National Cemetery is like officially Army property or official Pentagon property or DOD property or something yeah, like that. Yeah. The very fact that he's out there already, you know, how would he know to, to be there to collect things like that if not for... I mean, they've got, at Arlington, they've got security. Like, they've got guys rolling around, like, making sure that uh, Taking nobody's pictures doing something of the Pentagon inappropriate. In yeah. You well, know, I mean, I got... they, they have people who think that it's just, like, a park where you can hang out and smoke or whatever. And, you know, you've got to have somebody to uh, disabuse them of that notion. Mm -hmm. okay. Uh I mean, I would assume it, it honestly doesn't seem that nefarious given the sort of like instinctual, uh, instinctual, like, okay, we got to like grab all of our stuff and like pass it on upstream. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I could see that being a sort of, uh, standard protocol for like, you know, we have evidence of some, essentially some crime. I mean, honestly, the, the physical stuff, uh, the physical stuff is interesting, but I've seen a lot of weird stuff happen with, you know, other disasters and people getting, you know, the, the old expression like blown out of your shoes. Like, you know, it shouldn't be possible. Your shoes are right there. The guy is lying 20 feet away. Like, how does that happen? The physics just don't add up. But what I find more interesting is the kind of, uh, the social aspect, I guess, uh, that was discovered, like the people that were actually involved and all the people flying around, uh, you know, shortly uh, before and after the events in question, like in my mind, it, it honestly doesn't matter what the physical conditions were that caused the, uh, the structures to implode so perfectly uh, because I could see a variety of ways that that might happen. Uh, but all right, but, but Hank, sort of explain explain of World Trade Center fall. Seven falling at free fall yeah, speed. Yeah, I, I mean that one. I mean, my pet, can't my dismiss pet that. Theory, yeah, that no, that's that's such complete bullshit. <laughs> the uh, my pet explanation. Uh, so it's fairly well acknowledged that there was a CIA uh, field office, or uh, I might have the agency. Uh, well, right well Giuliani apparently had an operation center in there as well. 
Yeah, well, yeah. that was I thought that was in the basement of the actual World Trade Center, but specifically in Building 7, if I recall correctly, there were some people who talked about like, oh, yeah, I went in for an interview at whatever agency in there. My pet theory is that uh, they realized, oh, shit, we're going to have to evacuate. We have no idea what's going on. And they flipped a literal self-destruct switch <laughs> to make sure that, like, God only knows what files or... You know, you're you're doing some some bad shit uh, around the United Nations building. You might need some hardware. You don't want to just leave some of the stuff uh, lying around. So maybe there, you you just kind of make sure it's under the rubble. Yeah, there's a there there is a CNN article from like a week later. I have it linked on my blog that says yes, it was a CIA office. Yes, it was used to meet with like diplomats from the United Nations. And yes, they had a a team out there. Uh, a week later trying to make sure that you know no computer parts could be salvaged or something so that's that's that was on the record within days so yes everything you're saying is totally true well i mean i don't know i don't know about the self-destructing but whatever but it definitely was acknowledged to be i believe it's the largest cia facility outside of langley or was and yes um yes it's interesting um uh uh giuliani did move his uh, emergency management center there. Um, Jerome Hauer was the man who um, uh, designed the emergency system. And uh, he is an extremely spooky guy. He worked for Kroll and Associates, which also designed the security for the uh, uh, Trade Center buildings. And he was um, doing a live interview with Dan Rather of CBS, in which Dan Rather said about an hour or two after the Twin Towers were demolished. He said, you know, looking at these videos, looking at these destructions, I mean, it looks like something, you know, would happen if you had well, you know, well-placed explosives in the building. Do you think that's what happened? And Jerome Howard goes, no, no, I don't think that's what happened. I just think the intensity of the heat from the jet fuel and the impact of the jet must have caused this. And Dan Rather actually pushes back. Um, if this is not linked on my blog, I will link it. It's still on YouTube. It's been on YouTube forever. Um, and Dan Rather actually pushes back, and Howard's like, no, no, no. No, it's definitely the impact of the jet and the jet fuel. So have if you, you look guys at ever the, seen well, yeah. on, on Tower 7, have you ever seen the actual NIST report, like what they claimed was the the legitimate cause of why the building went down? Wasn't there yeah. something like the boilers or something like? Went oh, critical no. or it's something even, like... it's even dumber it's even dumber than you would think um so basically the, the theory uh and also i'll say this it's well known that the secret service had offices in in tower seven as well it wasn't not just our uh, our friends from langley the secret service were there as well but uh the, the the official theory from nist and if i remember correctly this came out in 2017 was that um, debris, hot flaming debris from Tower One, or you know World Trade Center One, somehow landed on World Trade Center Seven, went through the windows, went through parts of the building like meteors, and started lighting each floor on fire. <laughs> uh, and it just so happens that all of the sprinkler control systems didn't work, and the backup sprinkler control system didn't work. Uh, and therefore, the whole building caught on fire, and there was thermal expansion, something yep. like that. And then the interior <laughs> I-beams basically expanded, and the building just kind of fell over like meat off a bone. They, they claim they know exactly which 
they have like the number of the beam that caused the <laughs> origination of the collapse. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like you can ima- just imagine like this theory is so it it's so con- it's so strange like why you would have to dress it up as flaming meteor strikes from the building on right. the other side of right. the right. complex lit the building on fire and then all the sprinkler systems failed and and uh, and it was like I remember um, the whole conceit of it was like well actually you know lots of buildings in New York have this problem too and we really need to do some you know civil engineering and structural retrofit reports yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's, it's just, let's, it's let's have like, the NIST do that one yeah um, yeah it, it's it's totally dumb like the, the like Tower Seven I, I like Hank's theory even if like the like even if you stand back and you say okay. Maybe there's nothing conspiratorial about the events of 9-11. That 100% was like they pulled the plug on that building. For some reason, they decided that building's got to go, and they took it out. There's nothing There's nothing about the thermal expansion theory that makes sense, especially because there's like a nearly we've had, no... F- we've had dozens of other large structure fires, many of which were completely uncontrolled. You can look at, you know, just... Just Yandex on you know whatever news site like Tower Fire, like a bunch in England, a bunch in China. That's just apparently like paper lighting on fire, furniture lighting on fire, is not a failure mode for even very tall buildings. And uh, Building Seven was not that tall in the grand scheme of things. No, no, not at all. It's a very tiny building, and relative to the uh, probably like I don't know, 30, 30 stories, maybe. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I'd a say tiny bigger. building, relatively. Bigger. And the I, I think that the uh, not only is the thermal expansion theory just totally insane, but the the real insanity, like I said, is that the sprinkler system, like the somehow the sprinkler system wasn't working that day, and on top of that, the backup sprinkler system was reliant on the city's water lines, which somehow had been impacted by buildings one and two going, or the, the north and south towers going down. The city water main was impacted, and so therefore yeah. the backup sprinkler system for building seven did not work. Well, but even still, I mean, it's not like the sprinkler system is the the one thing keeping every fucking building in the world from right. falling down. Like it's extremely common if you have, you know, the the boiler blows up and now your water lines are fucked. Like that's like that's a common thing, relatively speaking. I mean, you can have your water lines go out for any number of perfectly legitimate reasons. And that doesn't mean like, oh, shit, now the building is going to fall down. There was a very famous uh, BBC uh, broadcast uh, reporting that the Solomon Brothers building had fallen down. And this broadcast occurred 30 minutes prior to the building actually collapsing. Um, Jesse Ventura posited this to Piers Morgan uh, on a talk show. And they cut to commercial almost immediately after he brought that up. Um there is no explanation for this. I mean, the the fact that they knew the name of the building in a city that was thousands of miles away with uh, precision uh, and the fact that they had foreknowledge 
tells me that this was planned. Uh, and many others have argued the same thing. Um, and while we're on the building seven, I wanted to bring up, uh, our friend, Larry Silverstein, uh, who owned the trade center, uh, leases, uh, 99 years. Lucky Larry. Hey Nick. Do you guys, do you guys know like the, hello? Uh, oh, Hey, go ahead. Do you guys know the, the deal with Larry Silverstein? Here's some interesting thing. My old blogging partner, ICA Reviews, did a whole bunch of great articles on this, but um, they're all taken down now. Um, it's all on the public record. There was a guy in the, the – the original Trade Center complex was owned by the uh, Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, which is a kind of public-private partnership kind of unusual thing. And there was a guy that spent two years basically trying to privatize it and sold it to Silverstein, okay? Just to let you know, Larry Silverstein is not just some guy. It's talked about in all the uh, Israeli newspapers. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and Larry Silverstein had a phone call with each other every week for years and years. So this is a guy who is, I mean, that's not just like friendly people, okay? These are like two power brokers on a weekly call. That's business, right? You know? And... um yeah, he he actually there's a whole story about him doing his uh he insured uh, insurance he insured that yeah. that complex weeks prior to the event yeah. for terrorism specifically with an immediate cash payout and he won uh in subsequent court cases against the insurance company arguing that it was not just one, but two events because of the two buildings. Mm-hmm. He sh- I'm surprised he didn't go for three. But, uh, you know, his his quote for uh, the Trade Center uh, that was caught on tape, uh, the seventh building, was uh, him saying, pull it. And firefighters have said they've never heard that terminology before. And I, why he's even, in my opinion, why he's even involved in the decision-making of pulling the firefighters out. I mean, why does he have jurisdiction yeah. over that? That's a public safety issue at that point has nothing to do with the owner of the building, you know. Um, it's like uh, asking the janitor, oh, do you want to pull it? No. I mean, this is a this is a fire department, uh, city of New York decision now because that fire affects everybody and all the citizens in the, in the building. Um, but, yeah, he, he tried to explain it like, oh, there was such horrible loss of life. We just had to pull it. Um, he was He was desperately trying to explain that one. He was on PBS yeah. doing that. Do you know the story of like why he wasn't in the building or any of his family that all had offices there? Oh, I don't know. Was he on Odigo? Wasn't it traffic jam? No, no. Um, what, the helicopter uh, traffic? Yeah, too much. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he, he uses. He had a dermatologist <laughs> appointment. He was going to cancel his dermatologist appointment because he had work to do, but his wife made him go. I uh, have to get this mole out. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, uh, hipster, are you familiar with the uh, the Zim theory, the uh, the American Israeli Shipping Company? I've heard that one. Yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. There's also um, there was the uh, uh, Israeli um, uh, construction company that like just abandoned their office like a week before. Yeah, the Zim same shipping with, company. Same with Zim. Yeah, Zim was yeah. the shipping company. They dropped they, their lease. They, they dropped their well, they, yeah they. Um, they had like a they had like years left on their lease or something like and they I, I think it was to the end of the year it was a few months okay. but it, it was multiple thousands of dollars 
Yeah, it, it was expensive, and they bailed a week prior, literally the week prior to the day, uh, to September 11th. And they moved to Norfolk, Virginia, which is probably, which is even more bizarre. The, uh, uh, I mean, it's not bizarre in the sense, you know, there are a lot of shipping companies in, uh, in Norfolk. But Norfolk is also known for um, something else entirely, which is uh, mm-hmm. defense contractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, our, our friends from General Dynamics, their partners over at the Electric Boat Company, are down in Norfolk. And uh, they've had considerable interests in uh, <laughs> in the aftermath of 9-11, shall we say. So I always thought that was a, a very interesting little facet, was that this company moved out and moved to the uh, the spook Navy center of the planet. So, uh, yeah, so we, while we're talking about um, our greatest allies, um, uh, apparently there was only one Jew that was killed in the uh, trade center <laughs> buildings. And oh, New on, York, New I, York is a, a city where 13% of the city's population is comprised of Jews. Now, the probability of that one person being so unfortunate in a city that is uh, quite, quite Jewish um, is uh, less than 1%. Um, if you divide the percentage of people killed uh, of Jews, which is one divided by, let's just say 3,000, keep the math somewhat simple, uh, divided by 0.13, you get a 0.002 probability. Yeah, I, I, really have to, I really have to push back on this one because that's definitely not true. And yeah, I actually, pro- yeah I it's a little bit hard to believe. Up. It's hard a little bit. So I, tell I, me I how many Jews up. were killed. Listen, I looked this up just a couple days ago because I wanted I saw this on the list. And I wanted to, to make this really clear. Yeah. Um, according to the Times of Israel, there are five Israelis that died, two on the plane and three in the World Trade Center seven. <laughs> three. OK, you. so it's point oh six. That's Israelis. That's Israelis. I, I went to Israelis. NYC.gov and I got the official list of two thousand nine hundred and eighty six people, I think, is the official death toll, I believe. Um, and I went and I looked for like stereotypical Jewish names, Cohen, Silverstein, you know, these, these kind of names. Yeah. There's way, there's plenty of them. Okay. You know, that, what that's more, that's can, more believable. So that's, that's about 10% of the uh, total killed. Um, I, I don't, I don't know, but, uh, but I can say is I know at least personally, I've known at least like 12 people, yep. people who were like typical kind of like New York <laughs> Jewish who were like in one building or the other and ran out of the building with their hair medic metaphorically on fire. So I always, I always, I always, uh, I always felt that that kind of rumor, which I heard early on, I heard, I've heard this rumor from so many people. Um, I always feel like it's, it's a, like almost meant to like discredit because there's so much Israeli involvement in here. No, like no, that, Adam that's, Smith, you that, mentioned that's good. That's good. That's you good. What what is the what, where was your source for and, and I believe you by the way. Where was your source for the uh, two hundred eighty six? You said uh, two thousand. Uh, it's it's just under three thousand. I mean, it's a list of names. Oh, and, a list of names. Um, it's on nyc.gov. Okay. Right. Nyc.gov. It's not hard to find. It, they've like, never had a problem false flagging prominent. their own people when it comes to PLO or. Hezbollah setups too. I mean, it's not. It's well, not I, like, there, there are plenty of companies that, like, you know, you can verify that these names existed before the fact because a lot of these finance companies they would publish as like a little press release when somebody yeah. got promoted to managing director or something. Like that's just 
you know, that's just BS. Got it. You know, but Adam Smith, you mentioned the Odigo thing. That's absolutely true. That's this like a uh, Israeli messaging app, and it's wasn't like necessarily exclusively, but it's pretty much like you know for people in Israel to talk to their relatives or friends overseas, and the the uh, uh, the company and like the Israeli embassy or something admitted they acknowledged I think the day of that yes a warning went out over that they didn't say what Odigo customer it came from and they didn't say how many. Odigo customers received it. It could very well just been like one person telling one other person, but like that definitely happened. But I would say if you want to talk about foreknowledge, you know, 15, 15 top Pentagon guys were scheduled to fly and cancel their flight the night before. Willie Brown is the legendary mayor of San Francisco that uh, our the vice mayor. president. Yeah. Our, 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 our vice president, um, to use the euphemism, uh, worked under him is right. how she got her start um he did an interview and he said yeah i was scheduled to fly that morning but my security people told me not to because there was a threat out like the the number of people who absolutely like without question had like prior warnings is i mean i could talk for hours about it but if you guys want to look it up there's so many prior warnings and if you haven't heard uh the story of susan lindauer i i would really hope people would go listen to her 45 minute talk. She was a CIA asset and was discussing with her CIA handler, Richard Fuse, um, these terrorist attacks, you know, hijacking airplanes, flying them into the World Trade Center since April of 2001. And she was sent to, she was charged under the Patriot Act and sent to a military prison for a year because she sent a letter to a bunch of congressmen in, in July and August. She was also the um, uh, cousin of Bush's chief of staff, Andrew Card. Well, this did, woman did she like, disclose uh, confidential or top secret information? Is that the, the reason? Or it was something else under the Patriot Act? What, what were the a, charges? A, is what well, I'm asking. She, she was... This this was on the news at the time. She was charged with being an unregistered agent of the Iraqi government. Okay, <laughs> and, but, and the reason why is they and 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 she was charged with like taking money from them because uh, her how many unregistered Iraqi, agents was, of Israel are there? Well, you know the the thing is she was a, a CIA asset. She would meet with Richard Fuse, who is a legendary guy. He's got his own Wikipedia page. Um, he he acknowledged that he would meet with her on a regular basis. He would give her messages. She would pass them to the Iraqis because, you know, there's no official. It's still under sanctions. And he told her to tell the Iraqis, hey, we have this information that there's going to be a terrorist attack in September. They're going to hijack air airplanes and fly them into the World Trade Center. You tell the Iraqis that if they know about this, they'll tell us we're going to bomb them. Uh, she went he, he, he ordered her to go tell them this twice um, in August. <clears throat> He said, we're expecting, you know, a huge amount of casualties. And, uh, uh, yeah, like I said, she, she, um, uh, uh, talked to a bunch of, of congressmen on the Senate intelligence committee. She contacted, uh, John Ashcroft at his direction at Richard Fuse's direction. And, uh, you know, they charged her being an un unregistered agent and taking money because her Iraqi people had bought her three lunches and, uh, gave her a paperback novel. That was like, you know, the bribery she was accused of taking. They kept her, charged her under the Patriot Act. The first like 
white lady ever charged under the Patriot Act. You know, her story's been out for almost 10 years now. It's absolutely incredible. And, you know, so they, they got, so that why did they start prosecuting her? Was it because she was leaking she info about 9 11 or no? Or? She denied them plausible deniability because we know that people, I mean, there was again, foreknowledge of, of the attacks. Is what you're saying. Foreknowledge of the attacks of from everybody, the Senate Intelligence Committee, the top levels of the Pentagon, mm -hmm. um, Richard Clark, who was like the White House terrorism czar under uh, Clinton and Bush. He said George Tenet, uh, Richard Blee, Kofor Black, the top three, four, five guys in the CIA, they were constantly surveilling the people that they now claim were the hijackers. They had all their names. They had all their phone numbers. They you know, they absolutely knew at least since, since April that this was going to happen. They knew to the day they knew exactly what the attacks would entail. Uh, Susan Lindar, by going to the Senate intelligence agency, you know, she took away their plausible deniability. Richard Fuse said the threat to the threat to bomb Iraq, if they knew about this attack and they didn't tell us was from the highest level, higher than the director of central intelligence, higher than the secretary of state, which means three people, Bush, Cheney, and Rumsfeld. Okay. And again, this stuff, the foreknowledge and stuff, this has been on the record for well over 10 years yeah. from pretty mainstream sources. So, you know, there's no denying that anymore. Right. Now we're, we're, um, in my opinion, we're not speculating here, but perhaps for somebody who's unfamiliar with this, let's start, um, if, if we agree that there was foreknowledge and it was not uh, stopped. Uh, that gets to there was motivation uh, for this thing to go forward. And so let's try to explore for the audience at least who might want this to go forward and why. Can I just add it to something that uh, Hipster is saying as well? Um, and along with the so we're working with this foreknowledge aspect, uh, May 8th, 2001 there was a, uh, a press release put out. And uh, it entailed that uh, Dick Cheney, who was the vice president at the time, had been uh, basically given you know, broad authority. And uh, W had placed him in charge of all federal programs dealing with weapons of mass destruction, mm -hmm. consequence management within the departments of defense, health and human services, justice and energy, the Environmental Protection Agency, and other federal agencies has included all training and planning, which needed to be seamlessly integrated, harmonious and comprehensive in order to maximize effectiveness. Uh, this mandate created the Office of National Preparedness in FEMA overseen by Dick Cheney. Uh, and Dick Cheney was placed in charge uh, of the multiple war games and terror drills, including several exercises of NORAD, the United States Air Force, and the United States Navy. All in the run-up to 9/11, mm -hmm. uh, and this gets into stuff like the Northern Vigilance Program and all and all these things. These are this is like old 9/11 trutherism, but it does fit with the general timeline that I think Hipster is establishing here, where you have this woman who starts sounding the alarm bells in April of 2011 that this is well known. This is uh, this is being planned. This is uh, there is an attack coming. The Iraqis are being warned that they need to cooperate. And uh, around May, you have Cheney assuming control of all emergency responding services at the federal level and, you know, personally overseeing war games through NORAD and uh, the U.S. Air Force. 
Yeah. I'm saying that the foreknowledge stuff was, um, uh, you know, this was actually even a, uh, a, a an issue in the 2004 presidential campaign. Bush was accused by, well, uh, you know, the, the Democratic uh, candidate, Howard Dean, uh, people remember him from they took him down with the, like the Dean scream or whatever. Uh, he openly discussed, you know, evidence that the Bush administration had kind of foreknowledge. And of course, they hung uh, Condoleezza Rice out to dry by bringing up the memo of uh, August 8th, bin Laden determined to attack in the United States, right? I mean, again, this is not even just like 9-11 trutherism. This is like mainstream politics from 2002, 2003, and 2004 is many people discussed it. And, um, you know, even more has come out uh, since then. I, I mean, you know, everything that I've talked about is was well known by 2010, by the 10th year anniversary, you know. Well, th th this is another issue that I hope we have time for um, that gets to, you know, knowledge is not sufficient and even widespread knowledge is not sufficient to sway people's uh, at least opinion. I mean, act to sway them to action is an even an entirely more challenging uh, subject. But the, the fact that, you know, people in even the dissident sphere were arguing, um, I mean, I don't know if I have to name names here, but some of the more prominent ones in the alt-right were dismissing notions of uh, conspiracy theories in their view of 9-11 not being uh, caused by a bunch of cave dwellers. Um, it, it's astonishing how how badly um, mis, misguided and, and poorly understood this uh, population is. And it's very depressing, uh, given all the, the work that people have done, how little it actually seems to accomplish. And, I mean, it begs the question, what is really the goal here? Um, are we just sort of trying to satisfy our own curiosity, or are we actually trying to affect pol political change? Uh, because I've, I've grown extremely cynical on the latter. Um, I think for anybody out there that learns these things and maybe is uh, persuaded by them, um, I think you have to be very hesitant in sharing these things to the wrong people because there have been people who have attempted to try to, um, I mean, you were talking about Spike Lee, uh, even trying to do this recently, yeah. um, hipster, uh, and they get punished for it. And so, and, and like the anecdotes you're giving earlier, a lot of these people who saw things that didn't add up, uh, were hesitant to come forward because they just get punished. So you have to be very, um, realistic about what, you personally can do here. And I would just put forward the, the notion that, look, uh, the government is, is extremely corrupt and it's going to lie to you. Uh, and that gets to just about everything, uh, unfortunately, that has widespread political and power uh, implications. And so just don't trust them and, and really just take your life into your own hands and, and try to do the best you can. But uh, to try to dissuade the general population that the quote-unquote authorities are not out for their own interest. Um, it's a tall order. Uh, I'm just giving my opinion here. Uh, but I, yeah, I, I, I'd like to yeah. go ahead. I, I'd, I'd like to respond to that. This is a good question. Like, what is the goal here? It's been 20 years. I'll just kind of lay out like what my goal was or is, um, you know, from about 2001 until I would say 2010, a lot of stuff. I, I, I 
became slightly more public and I attended the 10 year anniversary in New York city. And, uh, what I, what I found out the year before that and the year after that, like personally scared me because, you know, I realized that, I mean, it's hard to say this, let's put it to you this way. Like I have been, mm, offered jobs and money basically to like shut up and go away. Okay. Um, part of that's my background. Part of that is I, I never signed any of the releases. I never got any money from it. I, I refused to, uh, to sign their paperwork and take the payoff and stuff. But I mean, for the first 10 years, well, my would you like to like, say publicly I, now for the first and hopefully uh, last time necessary that you are not <laughs> suicidal? I am, I am not suicidal. I am not suicidal, but actually look, let me say, let me say that this is, this is uh, to that point though. Okay. For the first five years, I was kind of clueless and I thought, oh my God, I can't believe they did this. We have to get this truth out to the public, right? About five years after that to the 10 year anniversary, I was also kind of like thinking, oh, we could have some sort of political change or whatever. About the 10 year anniversary and every, and, and the 10 years since then, my personal goal is I just want to speak to history. I just really want to have like the true story out there, at least documented. And I think there's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of people that agree with me. You know, one of the gimmicks I used 10 years ago was, um, I realized no one was going to read boring essays about nine 11. So I, uh, <laughs> 50 shades of gray was really a big, huge phenomenon at the time. So I wrote a bunch of erotica spanking stories and added the nine 11 truth into it. It was really popular. <laughs> too bad it got banned um but I, <laughs> that just goes I just to show like, you you know the right. the sort of reptilian motivations of the uh, brains <laughs> in the american public absolutely so i just want to that's what hollywood's I just built speak on it to history yeah i just want to speak it to history i'm perfectly happy with my blog i am a i am not in any personal like i said everything that i know has been out in public and people with far more credibility than i have as like a pseudonymous blogger Right. They might have something to worry about. I don't. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm a nobody. I'm not important. And I don't have any insider information. Ten years ago, I think I was more of a risk. But now, no, nah, not at all. I'm, I'm you know. Didn't uh, didn't the so-called golden girls essentially basically give up? I mean, these were the the Jersey uh, with, girls, the Jersey, Jersey girls. girls. Yeah. Jersey yeah. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, yeah, they did. Um, they're they're still around though. Um, Bob McLevane lost his son. He was the guy being interviewed in the Spike Lee movie, and they censored everything. Spike Lee censored uh, his interview completely out of the project. Um, and architects and engineers just fired Richard Gage four or five days ago. Yeah, the founder. It's actually, yeah, the founder. That's actually. I think he made some comments about COVID, but I also think that they were trying to get rid of him anyway. Not look, I, I have nothing but respect for the man and the work that he's done for the last 15 years. He's uh, I'm scared that architects and engineers will become less credible without him. But again, I think they've accomplished their mission. You, you're not going to they've documented the physics of this as much as can be done. And they've proven their point beyond any reasonable doubt, you know? Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. Are 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 we are we going to get into the who here? Who who who's behind this, and why? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's a, it's a big 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 unknown, right? Like behind is a unknowable question. Uh, you can only say that like there were people involved in certain of the operational aspects. Mm-hmm. Like the motivations for for this thing, I think, are completely unknowable. Or I guess like you can posit motivations. But they're all sort of lacking, uh, and honestly, it seems like they're very uh, unsatisfying. In that, like, you could have, like, if you want a war, uh, you can get a war. It's not hard. Like, that's literally the job of militaries is to start war. Like, Gulf of Tonkin didn't require anything. Right. Like, a couple of fighter jets shot at. And suddenly you've got yourself a war. So it doesn't seem like let's gin up a war is a satisfying explanation. Like well, if you want to do stock market manipulation or you're just yeah. concerned about the money, like just the the baseline level of skullduggery in financial markets, like knowing the, what the Federal Reserve or the Treasury is going to do a week in advance that lets you extract all the money that you could ever need for any practical purpose. So, I mean, you can say that it made sort of a more metaphysical shift in the United States power structure that by this, you know, by 2002, the deep state uh, was just sort of so fully ensconced uh, that they still dominate uh U.S. politics uh, to the exclusion of any other power center in terms of who gets to control policy and staffing on certain issues. I mean, that I guess that's the most plausible one that I can come up with. But it's also like, okay, well, if you could pull that off, what level of uh, control did you have a priori and how much more? Uh, did you really gain if, uh, you know, you're, you're sort of the caricatured view of Dick Cheney smoking a cigar and like, ah, we're going to get our Halliburton guys in now. Like you already well, had your guys in place. That's yeah. in the, the hypothetical how you did it. So I don't know. It's very it's very mystifying to me. Well, you know, there is the project for New American Century. OK. And. Um, Richard Pearl. Know, yeah. I don't um, think they got everything they wanted. I don't think they got everything they wanted. You know, Richard Clark, or uh, West Clark, General West Clark, the former commander of NATO, right? He did this famous speech in 2007 when he said the original plan was to invade seven countries in five years. Okay. And they got six um, of them. Yeah, but it took them 20 years to do it, though, right? No, um, no, 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 no. They 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 went into Syria. Uh, I think when Obama was still around. I mean, they okay. they got everything yeah. except for Iran. Well, but but they didn't. But but Assad's still there. They didn't do the. They didn't get the regime change. Yeah, well, and, you know, uh, <laughs> Putin. But but uh, what I mean is like, for him. <laughs> I, I would say that um, you know, the the PNAC goal, the Project for New American Century goal, really was World War Three, and to position the United States for another century of dominance. I of of being the sole superpower that they were after. The Soviet Union fell. I don't really necessarily think that they gained everything that they wanted. And then I would also say that if you, you know, uh, Prime Minister of Israel 
Ehud Barak was on uh, the BBC an hour after the second tower was demolished. And he gave a speech, you know, declaring, you know, a new war on terror and surprisingly laid out what would become U.S. doctrine for the next for the rest of the Bush administration. Everything everything that was in his speech, his little five minute talk on the BBC came true. Um, but I would say, as someone pointed this out recently to me online, um, in 2000, Israel was under an extreme amount of pressure. There was the second intifada. They uh, were they they had no friends at the United Nations. They were increasingly under pressure. Iraq, uh, some Saudis, some other countries were actually you know paying the family of the suicide bombers. Israel was at its worst crisis point ever. And all of that changed with 9-11, and they went through, uh, you know, they, uh, they not just survived, but they thrived. And then look what happened under Donald Trump. They got even more. I'm not going to say that it's going to last for them. I don't think they're going to um, – they're not going to get all of their goals. They've, they're already still getting pushback. But um, it really did – they really did get 20 years of um, – a 20 years of benefit from both like certain factions in the United States, even Saudi Arabia to some degree, you know, no, it, it was, it was the Oded Yanan plan uh, implemented. Right. I mean, yeah. they, they flattened yeah. every single country they've ever had an issue with uh, surrounding them. And uh, to say that they weren't uh, motivated at the very least, uh, I think is extremely disingenuous. I mean, the dancing Israelis, you know, notwithstanding, I mean, uh, how did they know about it? You know, I think Mossad was very well informed of this event, if not architecting the damn thing. Um, a lot of well, people Larry pointed fingers at them. Yeah, you know, Larry Silverstein. And, you know, in, in the days or a couple of days afterwards, what happened was uh, they actually rounded up 200 of their agents and sent them home. So, you know, th- there was a whole team here for who knows how long. Uh this this brings me to a question I, I think is relevant, and that's the target selection itself. Do you think that this was done uh, purely for symbolic psychological warfare reasons? Were there specific, you know, very physical reasons that that building was to be destroyed? Someone in it that needed to be destroyed? Uh, uh, it's a little bit odd because the. I mean, the symbol, um, symbolically speaking, the, it's a symbol of international Jewish finance capitalism. So it's, yeah. it is, there's a lot. I, I have reason to believe that. Um, I have reason to believe that certain people were invited, certain powerful people at specific companies in what I would call the broader finance industry to, to, to draw that very, very broadly. I know of personal contacts of people who knew about this. There was an emergency meeting called like Friday or Monday at like the top floors of, I think it was Cantor Fitzgerald. He lost like, God, I don't know, like 500 people or something like half their company. And this meeting was called for like 7.30 or 8 o'clock in the morning or something. I know that certain people involved in specific financial issues were invited to this meeting kind of at the last minute. It was billed as an emergency meeting. 
none of those people survived. And I can't prove this, but I do believe that whoever knew purposely invited specific people to get rid of them. And then the, uh, the, the guy that was hired at the last minute, the, um, uh, God, his name escapes me for a minute. He worked with the FBI, John, John McNeil, I think he was hired to do security. Monday was his first day of work. He died. He was very inconvenient for a lot of people. And, you know, I suspect that, uh, I suspect that it was like, and then Warren Buffett did the opposite. Warren Buffett invited some of people that he didn't want there to his little charity golf events. Uh, I suspect that was a more that was more of an opportunistic thing. But I think if you actually look at the specific people involved, which 20 years later is probably not able to do, but if you look at the specific people involved, I think some of them were personally targeted in just such a way, but I can't prove that. What was the basis? I mean, uh, it, it may be something you don't want to talk about, but what was the like financial issue that was uh, uniting people? Um, well, think of... Um, I mean, I have to at least like ask the question. Yeah, right? no, I mean, there was... A, uh, go read about what the, uh, you know, the electronic systems were taken down for a couple days and the federal reserve set up a very special little office where people could call in and change billions of dollars by word of mouth, very little record keeping, you know, that was an opportunity in and of itself. And, um, I, I mean, I, I believe there's financial motivations, but also I'd like to point out, okay. Um, people have speculated. I don't know if this is true. People have speculated that there was a bunch of, uh, Remember Enron blew up right afterward or right right afterwards, remember? Huge amounts of financial crime, huge amounts of financial crime that were the the uh, investigation into these financial crimes, we're talking billions of dollars, it all went away because it wasn't important anymore, you know. And people who could I mean, have that's been, been a, a common theory about building 7 as to I mean because it's it's dropped from the na the terror narrative largely by the system so people have speculated and i know that there were specific documents and specific people that uh, building seven was meant to eliminate people have said the same thing about the oklahoma city building yes i've heard that too the dea office of the oklahoma city building isn't this isn't this the basis of some of the skepticism surrounding uh the pentagon attack that the wing of the Pentagon that was targeted just so happened to contain the internal financial division of the Pentagon, which was allegedly investigating yeah, the missing, the two missing trillion. trillions that Rumsfeld yeah, so, had announced. <laughs> Actually, yeah, so the, the Pentagon accounting thing, it's, it's more and less than it seems. So when they say that there's a missing trillion dollars, it's not like oh, we checked our vault and, you know, the the big stack of pallets of $100 bills is gone and, you know, then a plane hit the vault. It's Their accounting has been nightmarish uh, sort of cash flow-based accounting uh, since forever, really. Uh, that's the amount that they can't really account for, uh, but they definitely spent it. Uh, there are, like, certain financial controls uh it's just sort of not clear exactly on what. Uh, 
so I mean, it's not like a trillion dollars was embezzled and then you know it was covered up. It's actually really easy to you know derive a trillion dollars in you know perfectly legitimate uh, defense contracts. You don't even have to embezzle; they just pay you for stuff that doesn't quite work. Hey, hey Hank, can I completely endorse what you're saying? I've definitely heard this theory. I've looked into myself. I totally endorse what Hank just said, but I'd also like to point out that I'm not even sure if it's really the budget analyst office like they say. It looks to me, from what I've been able to look at, and if you look at the list of people who died, it looks like the target was the Office of Naval Intelligence. And why would that be a target? I don't oh. know, but I mean, it's definitely a big, juicy intelligence target. It's it's where uh, Jonathan Pollard was. Um, it's the oldest intelligence. It's also agency. where uh, Pete uh, Pete Budigig, uh used to work back in the <laughs> oh, day. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Lovely. That's right, yeah. Na- Navy intelligence has been, you know, <laughs> of all the, of, for some reason, because of the direct commission, uh, direct commission programs that they've been running since forever, like uh, Paul Woodward. Uh, naval intelligence, etc. Like, there have been a Bunny bunch Gig of like, intimate knowledge of seamen, though. Yes, exactly. You gotta, you gotta analyze. You gotta analyze that. I mean, that would, like, that again. You know, it's an interesting factoid. It doesn't necessarily speak to like, therefore, this thing had to yeah. go. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Being able to assemble a collection of people and like have a plausible reason to wipe out an entire social circle is a little bit more of an interesting uh, ability, I guess, or outcome that an attack like that gives you than like tearing down a building or starting a war or something. That's that's actually uh, more intriguing that that could be a motivating factor. There, there's a, there's an interesting facet too in that. Um, one of the enduring uh, theories, and I kind of briefly touched on this, is this NORAD theory, um, and it's been popular for a long time. Uh, why wh- why was there an active drill the day of 9-11 uh, around Alaska in Canada uh, for NORAD? Why was there, NORAD? Don't they do drills all the time? Though? That's where NORAD is. Yeah. yeah. Well, That's the only thing they do. Yeah. People think that NORAD is like, you know, the eye in the sky that tracks Santa along with everything else. It's like, no, they run some radar stations up in Alaska, and it's not a particularly juicy career assignment now that we're not really worried about Russians coming over the pole. Well, so that's, it, that kind of fits with the, the, the ridiculousness of it. Why is Dick Cheney assuming command of NORAD back in May of 2001? You know, as Pipster's pointing out, it seems as though people are trying to sound the alarm bells. People are aware that something is happening, that they're they're aware of a potential uh, aerospace threat. And uh, NORAD is hosting uh, Russian invasion war drills uh, coming over the coast of Alaska. And on top of that, you know, to kind of blend into what you're what you're saying about the Office of Naval Intelligence uh, the Office of Naval Intelligence at the time and still uh, would be feeding data and would be a part of uh, of NORAD. And they would actually have played a role definitely in that, in those war games, whatever they were. Some of them have never been declassified. And they would have definitely played a role to an extent in the war games that were going on that day. So it is it is strange that, that the, the Office of Naval Intelligence, which... Uh, has over the over its time has had a pretty broad stretch of authority and programs. Uh, the NSA used to be a, kind of a, a facet of the Office of Naval Intelligence. Um, 
it is strange that that would be the target or that's where it would hit, you know, just so happens to be one of the primary entry points into intelligence gathering for NORAD uh, would be hit on that same day. Speaking of the NSA, um, do you know William Benny? I'm sure you guys have heard of him. William Benny um, was in a a documentary from three years ago called A Good American, and he made some – yeah, yeah, it was really great. I don't know if you picked up on this, but he said um, the day of 9-11, Michael Hayden, and I've done a lot of stuff about Michael Hayden. Uh, what a blog. creep, creepy looking uh, dude, by the way. I think physiognomy is real. The, uh, the, yeah, he also uh, joined up with Michael Chertoff uh, afterwards. <laughs> they, they part of the, he's part of the Chertoff group now. This is the thing about this. Okay, the day of 9-11, Michael Hayden sends all of the NSA analysts home for the next three days and instead invites in a bunch of private contractors yeah. who staff the NSA building while all the main top level analysts are Ed- at Edward home. Snowden. What is that? That's a, <laughs> that's a coup. That's a coup. Yeah. You know, I mean, really? Well, Benny, well, Benny said that uh, to, his to that, uh, thin thread system applied to the data sets that they had on hand actually identified nine yeah. eleven taking place. Uh, and uh, it was, it was shuttered and he was opposed by um, Hayden uh, in favor of, uh, I don't remember if it was called carnivore or I, I can't remember the, uh, the system that they've uh, now implemented, uh, but it, it's a massive no, uh, data it, collection. That system uh, is gone. That's warrantless system, wiretapping. That system only lasted. Yeah. Carnivore was older, but I'm just blanking on what, what the new one is, but effectively it was thin thread was um, intelligence analysis applied to a very selected, focused data set versus the vacuum cleaner system, which is essentially what we live with today, where they collect everything. And the 9-11 uh, event was was just like, the, the, it, was, it, was a, it was a giant party for people at, at NSA, at least underneath Hayden, because they, uh, they got all the budget they wanted and, and they could justify uh, yep. snooping on everybody without warrants. Uh, well, Nick, you sorry, know what? Oh, I just wanted to add. Oh, please go ahead. Just real quick. Um, Benny said that when he ran the system uh, in the days so afterwards, he pointed out that there was a lot more things planned, but a lot of things failed or were called off at the last minute. So like more bombings, more hijackings, more whatever. He said there was a lot more planned, but uh, it just they didn't work out or didn't didn't succeed or something. Uh, I just wanted to point that out because I saw that documentary, too. Yeah, I mean, Benny fits into the point I was going to make, and this is speculation on my part, but I tend to hold a very low bar for uh, the American public, and I, I think that a lot of this effort, I don't, I don't think it takes a lot to just bamboozle the American public and say, this is the narrative that we're running with, and you better shut your fucking going mouth. Mm-hmm. I think, I've, I've always been suspicious that a lot of this has to do with an internal shakeup, the words like coup have been thrown around and i think that it was a good opportunity for the system at least to shake the tree and see what kind of problematic goys might pop out people like these old cold warrior types like benny or uh, drake or just anybody in the system who might not uh, you know be convenient going forward in the new american century and i also think that that helps to explain why a lot nothing really needed to follow this because 
the guilty parties obviously demonstrated a lot of capability. And you would think that, you know, maybe that there would be more to follow, but maybe it wasn't necessary. But this is all speculation on my part. It's just well, we, we had the shoe bomber who now uh, enabled Chertoff Group to install uh, these checkpoint security systems throughout every single airport in the country. Uh, right, and we're right. Still, we talked about enabled, the thresholds lower and lower. Well, that's an old Soviet technique, too. I mean, that was old Soviet humiliation technique. Mm-hmm. But I like they just they don't need much. I mean, I think Hank mentioned earlier, too, as far as like pretext for war. I mean, they don't need much. I, I think the explanation has to go deeper and more internal into the system itself. At least that's that's my guess. I think that a big part of this um, in, you know, in questioning what what this shakeup really was, if that's what it ultimately uh, I think was the, was the element of what was happening. Uh, but also maybe some of the cause de jour for 9-11 uh, was what was going on in Afghanistan. Because you cannot separate the mythology of 9-11 from Afghanistan, both on the official corridor and from uh, the un- more unofficial stories. And it's worth noticing that um, the man who I think has for a long time been seen as a boogeyman for 9-11 truthers, Dick Cheney, uh, it was probably at some level involved in all of this. And it appears just from looking at the more objective evidence that he would be. Um, and he kind of fits the profile of a guy that would be associated with this sort of new shakeup and the the end of the Cold Warriors, uh, as Nick's pointing it out Uh this is a man who was, you know, deeply intertwined with the Project for a New American Century. He was, you know, deeply intertwined with the neoconservative movement. But Dick Cheney's history with Afghanistan uh, really began in 1997, in 1998, in 1999, when he visited the country multiple times um, under his role at Halliburton. And it's worth noting that there was a there were several planned, not just pipeline projects, but just general infrastructure projects, either to support pipeline projects or just uh, for other purposes um, that were going through it. They were planned to go through Afghanistan and the most infamous one being a Unocal uh, project, which ended in 2000 uh, from a stern objection by the Taliban. And the Taliban government had. Uh, you know, in the late 90s was still attempting to really seize control of the country. The civil war had been uh, dying down and they had they were still trying to cement their rule over the various regions of the country. Um, they were struggling with the north, which would come in later with the 9-11 theories and uh, the, the mythology of 9-11. But um, by this point, the, the Taliban have decided that they will not allow this sort of uh, this pipeline business to transpire through uh, the, the central corridors of southern Afghanistan. Uh, immediately thereafter, you have 9-11. You have the, you know, Dick Cheney chosen as W's running mate. Uh, the following year, you have 9-11. Within 72 hours, the blame is pointed at uh, Osama bin Laden, who happens to be living in eastern Afghanistan, somewhere in the Hindu Kush. And, uh, you know, the rest is sort of history. But I think that that is probably part of what was ultimately going on here was a recognition that uh, Afghanistan, which you know, Cheney had been 
scoping out for some reason and had it was almost scouting for someone uh you know basically had decided that this state needed to be taken down and who better than one of our um, oldest assets in the field who had been sort of you know quote unquote evading capture for 20 odd years uh and who just happened to be living there in this place that we've been actively attempting to build infrastructure in, and we have vested interests in, in taking over. Uh, it, I think that that's a big part of why not, not 9-11 happened, but how it was engineered to make sense for people, or perhaps. And it might have even just been one of the litany of reasons why it happened. I'd like is to know this, if this George is, Bush knew about this beforehand. I've never quite been able to figure that one out. That one out. Oh, there's, oh, there's, there's, no, there's way. no way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, know, I think they give those. I I think they give people like that in the really public roles. I think they give them plausible deniability. You know. Yeah. 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 When your yeah, job, job is basically to be the mascot for the country. Uh, and you're giving interviews all the time. Like, I mean, think about how often Joe Biden has a slip of the tongue and is like, oh, I'd, I'd screw that eight-year-old. Uh, <laughs> like, you don't want him having knowledge of anything concrete that he can imply. Yeah. Well, that's exactly my point. It's like, how much can they trust a guy like George Bush to not screw up, you know? and It's not even trust. It's like, you know... It, it was like things like uh, the uh, the Saudis, uh, like the Saudi connection itself, uh, which, you know, any day now we're going to definitely get the uh, the remaining uh, documents on how uh, neck deep the Saudis were in this whole thing. Like spoiler you know, alert. You know, they released uh, the 28 pages, right? Yeah, uh, but we're supposed to get another uh, document dump at some point. Uh, they keep teasing it uh, along with uh, a bunch of JFK stuff, but whatever. But don't, don't they I like mean, immediately after like the attacks, we, of those we literally rounded up all of the high-ranking Saudis in the country and made sure that they made it safely back to Saudi Arabia. Like, including, you know, all of the, uh, the handlers that were directly involved in... Uh, doing the uh, the finance end of the operation according to like the public story it, and it, you, you think about you know from from w's uh perspective it's like the one thing that he is aware of on a primal level is relationship there so you don't need to get into the minutiae of like exactly you know at what level the responsibility was for there to be an implicit understanding that oh shit you guys may very well be dirty as hell we're gonna get you out where nobody's asking any inconvenient questions and we'll settle things privately maybe later yeah do you know who was uh, cia station chief from 96 to 99 and then uh yeah <laughs> was uh was uh chief of staff to uh George Tenet good, good old Bob Mueller right no John I Brennan he... yeah, yeah, yeah so you have another sort of tenuous connection to Michael Hayden here the two of them would go on to be great pals uh <laughs> years later in the Obama administration uh, but John Brennan was the point man for the CIA uh, in uh, up until late '99 in Riyadh, 
So very likely uh, John Brennan or one of his uh, successors or one of his underlings uh, probably oversaw and approved the visas that allowed for these Saudi citizens to enter the United States. Let me tell you what the 28 pages say, because it's kind of interesting, I think. So the connections are this direct. Um, the hijackers, the handler for the hijackers, get paid out of the bank account of the wife of Bandar Bush, who's called the, the ambassador from Saudi Arabia, who's called Bandar Bush because they're he's such, you know, 30, 40 years of friendship with the Bush family, including George H.W. Bush. So that's literally like four steps from like the hijacker financing to the president of the United States. Like that's, you know, and that's that's on that was, you know, that was from the Senate intelligence document from 2002. Put it that way. So I, I think that uh, perhaps uh, perhaps we might be running short on time here, and we've got about ten minutes left. Uh, maybe do a quick uh, quick wrap up. I think that it's fair to say that none of us really, except the, uh, I mean, it, I you know even like the the sort of facile uh, version of the story. Like I, I was tempted to say like the the consensus. View, but even the stuff that's publicly out there, frankly, is damning enough that it's like, well, why wasn't there a American purge of the people who screwed up this badly? Why haven't we glassed Saudi Arabia? Like, these are all natural questions if you accept just like the official 9-11 reports. Oh, and uh, why has the Muslim population shit, in the United States ballooned since that event? I don't have the yeah, exact numbers, I, but I mean, it's probably doubled. I mean, it's, uh, it's like the, on the, the surface layers of it, that of, just doesn't compute. The layers of WTF are fractal, I think, at this point. But I don't know what what can we what can we take away from this beyond like, yep, turns out a lot of bullshit flying around. Uh, be afraid, be very afraid of the federal government because what we're living through right now, uh, Nick, uh, myself, and Hans were sort of debating this last night. Uh, I think what we're living through right now uh, eclipses 9-11 uh, in terms of long-term impact on our lives with this uh, COVID event, uh, which has not gone away um, and it not it is not going to go away. And I think there's also potential for more events like this to occur in the future. Uh, and given how gullible the American people are, um, I don't know what we're going to do with our fellow man. I mean, it's really just, you kind of have to kind of nod and smile for the rest of your life, which is always frustrating for me, but I'm just getting used to it at this point. Um, I don't know. It, it's, it's frustrating, but it is what it is. Yeah, I think a, a lesson to be drawn is the fact that, uh, you know, literally the population of the United States is to the government like, you know, livestock is to the farmer. Like, quite literally, you know, I, I think that's a good analogy. So. I think the, the thing to take away from it is, like, there exists a institutional leadership class in America and their interests obviously diverge from the population. 
like, and that's one of the things that I think even, you know, again, even taking the 9-11 commission report as the gospel truth, I don't think that you could see any other implication than holy shit, do we need a purge? Like (laughs) it would be very pleasant. uh, Would the class of person responsible for at a minimum allowing 9-11 to happen and ensuring no consequences happened for any responsible party other than perhaps like, you know, a few of the top guys in Afghanistan, uh, they got to go. I can say looking at it symbolically, which is how I have always looked at it. I think it really is a perfect moment encapsulating the new American century, maybe hopefully the decline of the American empire, the high watermark, because the two capitals then always the most power in America, at least following the second war was Hollywood and wall street. And nine 11 was the perfect merger of Hollywood and wall street. Yeah. Well, and, uh, I guess 20 years after the fact now, uh, I'm almost tempted to, to partially say, you know, uh, you know, why does it matter anymore? Uh, the 9-11 truth movement had made a lot of great strides. And I think that most of the American public, you know, perceives that something is very off about this. Uh, it's important that people continue to explore this as much as possible, explore all the possible connections to it, the history of everyone who was even tangentially involved um, as maybe not just building a historical narrative here, but to practice and to gain some experience in your own intelligence gathering. Uh, However you frame 9-11, was it a failure of intelligence, a failure of imagination, which was the token phrase at the time, failure of imagination, um, was it a direct result of people who work in intelligence? Was it planned by people who worked in intelligence? Uh, doesn't matter. You ultimately need to learn to do what those people do. And looking into 9-11 and still thinking about it 20 years after the fact is, is a big part of that. Uh, the only way that we're ever going to probably learn anything close to the truth about it is through those methods of just continuous searching. Uh, and, I, and I think that uh, this country will probably never fully recover from the effects of 9-11. I think it was uh, uh, far too traumatic. And what it unleashed uh, in the last 20 years has been uh, nothing short of psychotic. Uh, I was debating, as Adam said, we were talking about this last night. Uh, my contention is that... Uh, uh, none of what we're experiencing currently, nothing we've experienced the last 20 years, and nothing we probably experience for the next 20 years uh, will will be or would have been uh, possible without 9-11. Uh, and the complete shakeup, coup, change in zeitgeist, however you want to look at it, you know, this event, uh, it's it's perfect that it came at the beginning of a of a new century, a new uh, new millennium, because it'll probably set the tenor for the next hundred years, next thousand years. Uh, this went this was you know probably the real uh, ringing of the bell 
for the end of the American empire and uh, for probably the end of the United States in the long run. Well, I'd like to point out that uh, just a couple days ago, there was a new lawsuit filed by a bunch of family members, uh, people uh, around the lawyers committee for 9-11 truth. They're suing NIST uh, for the World Trade Center 7 report. And uh, I would also like to point out, it's been what, I don't know, 75 years since World War II. Um, I know that there's a certain kind of powerful and popular ethnic group in America that uh, definitely constantly in your face every day reminds you of what they experienced in World War II. I personally, and I hope other people who are affected by it, think of it that way. Uh, my children will be called, you know, second generation 9-11 survivors. Uh, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure they don't forget it, you know? Reminds me of the Larry David joke where it's like, oh, yeah, my brother died on 9-11. It's like, oh, yeah, which was he in the tower? It's like, no, he was riding his bike and got hit by a taxi. <laughs> I'm Leanne McAdoo with InfoWars.com reporting here from Times Square. I am standing next to Rudy Dent. He's a 32-year veteran of the New York City Fire Department. He's worked as well with the New York City Police Department. And you retired right after 9-11. He was there on 9-11. He saw World Trade Center Tower 7 come down. Rudy, tell us about what happened that day. Well, I was off that day, and I, got a, I received a call at home, and uh, I got to see both buildings come down on TV. I jumped on my motorcycle. I did about 120 miles an hour across the Tappan Zee. I reported to my firehouse, and then I uh, got my gear. Uh, a bunch of us got together. We commandeered a, a mail truck, and we made our way down to the, to the site. Uh, at that time, we're, uh, Building 7 was still up. Uh, I saw Building 7 come down. Uh, my fellow firefighters who were there, they did that involuntary jerk when a loud explosion goes off. You know, you, you can't help it, and they did. Uh, I'm a, a Vietnam veteran, too, so I kind of didn't jump like they did, but uh, it was, there was an explosion. The building did come down in complete classical uh, controlled demolition. It came down on its own footprint. There's no question about that. As a matter of fact, uh, Richard Gage from Architects and Engineers has completely handled that from his area of expertise. Okay. Now we heard uh, rumblings, things that the fire department was saying that they were overhearing Larry Silverstein talking about, uh, talking to his insurance company of whether or not he should have the building pulled. Um, in your professional opinion, was the building pulled? Well, let me say this. In the New York City Fire Department, I, as I said, I had 32 years there. I was a chauffeur and I was also a trained fire marshal. A fire marshal is considered an expert witness in court. He's like a, a forensic detective. He has the power to administer the oath, take testimony, and issue a subpoena. That's a lot of power. And he's, he's a highly trained investigative uh, 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 person in his area of expertise in arson. And we have no term that I know of that says pulling buildings. That's not our area of expertise. We've never done that. We don't do that. So for him to say that, I don't know where he pulled that out of, but it, it, it's just not part of our uh, operations, okay? Right, so the fire department doesn't have the training to 
pull a building, to demo a building like that. We're not trained to do that. We've never done that in my 32 years. I know of no evolution whatsoever that does that. And then talk to me a little bit, obviously, as a professional in the fire department for 30 plus years, they're saying that, uh, blaming it on office fires, just a few office fires. Well, if it wasn't so serious a situation, that would be completely laughable. That is ridiculous. First of all, our guys were up there. They were calling for additional hand lines to mop up the isolated pockets of fire. And let me just explain one thing. Never in the history of the world, never in the history of high-rise skyscrapers has ever a uh, skyscraper ever come down because of fire. And I'm talking massive fire. And you know the reason why? Because fire does not burn by itself hot enough to compromise and melt steel. What we had in the World Trade Center, and I saw myself, was molten lava-like pockets of molten steel. All right, I spent the night on the pile searching for bodies, and I saw that with my own eyes. So who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe a bunch of government bureaucrats or my fellow brothers, which I lost 343 guys that day, and I lost Tommy O'Hagan, Bruce Van Hines, and Kenny Kumpel, and I can never forget that. I think of that before I go to bed. I think about it the first thing in the morning when I wake up, and it's in honor of them and their family that I will continue to do everything I can to make the rest of the world wake up to the fact that this was a false flag operation. Right. And now, as you're, as you're out there with, with professionals who understand what it is that they're seeing, what were you all saying to each other when you're looking at this molten lava? Well, we were overcome with grief, first of all. We lost 343 guys. We, didn't, we weren't talking about that. If you, if you look at the numerous videos, you'll see the guys bent over in incredible grief. One of the things that we have in the fire department is an incredible brotherhood. We do what we do, an aggressive interior attack, because we believe in each other. We know that our guys will pull us out if we get into trouble. And if we lose somebody, it's, 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 we're, we're family. We're, we're very close. We know each other's families. We know each other's children. And one of the things that I've been privy to is, is uh, you know, I'm proud of is that I... See, the New York City Fire Department is a calling. It brings out the best in guys, you know, I mean, uh, in men who put their lives on the line to save other people's lives. New York City Fire Department is probably the least integrated of all the services, right? When I first came into the firehouse, it was all heavy brogues and stuff. But those same guys, I've seen them bent over giving mouth to mouth to little black children that they've just pulled out of a building. And typically when you die or when you, you cease to, to, to start uh, uh, to breathe, you throw up and they, they gave them mouth to mouth. You know, I've seen incredible acts of heroism. I love my fellow firefighters. We love each other. And I'm dedicated to exposing this false flag that took their lives. What do your what do your comrades say to you? What do you what do people say to you? Because we've we've tried to talk to some people, and of course, you know they have to worry about their pension and things like that. They cannot comment, and I'm retired. 
But while I was on, I was approached by the news, and I, I deferred from commenting for two reasons. First of all, I, I was at uh, 1993, the first bombing, and I saw that I stood shoulder to shoulder with the FBI while they foraged for little paint chips. And with their forensic science, they can take that paint chip and tell you the make and model of the vehicle that it belonged to. All right, and and I that was a bombing. This was a bombing. Uh, what did you think about them taking all of the debris away so quickly? That was a crime in and of itself because the classical thing that any investigator is taught is protect the crime scene, and NIST and the 9/11 Commission lied to the public. I mean, you cannot be that stupid. You cannot be that stupid. In law, as a former police officer, every crime or offense has a degree of mental culpability. Either you knowingly, intentionally, recklessly, or negligently committed the act. And the mere fact that there were obviously, uh, uh, the definition of a conspiracy is when two or more people acting in concert knowingly commit an offense or a, or, or a crime, all right, uh, a, a misdemeanor or felony, an offense. That is the definition of a conspiracy. Was this a conspiracy? Absolutely. Yes, it was. And those people need to go to jail for treason. Is there anything else that you want to say to anyone out there, anyone who might be wanting to come forward but they're scared? I want to thank you because you're all we have. Infowars? right an independent press to try to get the word out to the public because the public is mesmerized by the mainstream media and let me give you my opinion of the mainstream media the mainstream media is uh, their mission is is to act as the most effective weapon of mass deception and public manipulation the world has ever seen and if you don't think that's so ask anyone any taboo question that the mainstream media frowns upon with its ho uh, army of trusted celebrity prostitutes all right and 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 you will see a sadly predictable knee-jerk reactionary response from the public because that's what they've been trained to believe and trust in all right well we are very glad that you took the time to speak with us to try and help break through that Break through that paradigm, we see, you know, here it is, it's very much like they live all around us with all this programming and just consistent programming with the ceremony. And we're just so thankful that people like you aren't afraid to speak out, aren't afraid to be laughed at, aren't afraid to be, you know, your friends say, what are you doing, man? Come on, maybe disrespectful. You know, I think uh, times are telling because, as you know, my name is Rudy Dent. I did an interview uh, with... Uh, uh, Ludowski, Ludowski, yeah, and that interview got over 51,000 views and still climbing. It got over 1,500 likes, and it only got 32 insults. Right. All right. The so people, that, that's they're not the, bad. they're ready for the truth, and they yeah. can think, you know, yeah. 13 years, people are going to forget. We will never forget. We, we remember. remember. You remember this. The founding fathers were up against impossible odds. They were up against King George the Third, upon whose holdings the, the sun never set. They were only four percent, and look what happened. Absolutely, America.
Yep. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. Well, Liam McAdoo reporting from Times Square, and there you have it. The people are ready for truth. It does not matter how many of these anniversaries go by, the truth will reveal itself in due time.